0: Section thirteen of Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini This is a LibriVox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit Librevox dot org. Chapter sixty three The first piece I cast in bronze was that great bust, the portrait of His Excellency, which I had modelled in the goldsmith's work room while suffering from those pains in my back. It gave much pleasure when it was completed, though my sole object in making it was to obtain experience of clays suitable for bronze casting i was of course aware that the admirable sculptor donatello had cast his bronzes with the clay of florence yet it seemed to me that he had met with enormous difficulties in their execution as i thought that this was due to some fault in the earth i wanted to make these first experiments before i undertook my perseus from then I learned that the clay was good enough, but had not been well understood by Donatello, inasmuch as I could see that his pieces had been cast with the very greatest trouble. Accordingly, as I have described above, I prepared the earth by artificial methods, and found it served me well, and with it I cast the bust. But since I had not yet constructed my own furnace, I employed that of Maestro Zanobi di Pagno, a bell-founder. When I saw that this bust came out sharp and clean, I set at once to construct a little furnace in the workshop erected for me by the duke, after my own plans and design, in the house which the duke had given me. No sooner was the furnace ready than I went to work with all diligence upon the casting of Medusa, that is, the woman twisted in the heap beneath the feet of Perseus. It was an extremely difficult task, and I was anxious to observe all the niceties of art which I had learned, so as not to lapse into some error. The first cast I took in my furnace succeeded in the superlative degree, and was so clean that my friends thought I should not need to retouch it. It is true that certain Germans and Frenchmen, who vaunt the possession of marvellous secrets, pretend that they can cast bronzes without retouching them. But this is really nonsense, because the bronze, when it has first been cast, ought to be worked over and beaten in with hammers and chisels, according to the manner of the ancients, and also to that of the moderns. I mean such moderns as have known how to work in bronze. The result of this casting greatly pleased His Excellency, who often came to my house to inspect it, encouraging me by the interest he showed to do my best. The furious envy of Bandinello, however, who kept always whispering in the Duke's ears, had such effect that he made him believe my first successes with a single figure or two proved nothing. I should never be able to put the whole large piece together, since I was new to the craft, and His Excellency ought to take good heed he did not throw his money away these insinuations operated so efficiently upon the duke's illustrious ears that part of my allowance for work-people was withdrawn i felt compelled to complain pretty sharply to his excellency and having gone to wait on him one morning in the via dei servi i spoke as follows my lord i do not now receive the monies necessary for my task which makes me fear that your excellency has lost confidence in me Once more, then, I tell you that I feel quite able to execute this statue three times better than the model, as I have before engaged my word. CHAPTER sixty four. I could see that this speech made no impression on the duke, for he kept silence. Then, seized with sudden anger and a vehement emotion, I began again to address him. My lord, this city of a truth has ever been the school of the most noble talents. Yet when a man has come to know what he is worth after gaining some acquirements, and wishing to augment the glory of his town and his glorious prince, it is quite right that he should go and labour elsewhere. To prove the truth of these words, I need only remind Your Excellency of Donatello, and the great Leonardo da Vinci in the past, and of our incomparable Michelangelo Buonarroti in the present. They augment the glory of Your Excellency by their genius. I, in my turn, feel the same desire, and hope to play my part like them. Therefore, my lord, give me the leave to go. But... "'Beware of letting Bandinello quit you. "'Rather, bestow upon him always more than he demands. "'For if he goes into foreign parts, "'his ignorance is so presumptuous "'that he is just the man to disgrace "'our most illustrious school. "'Now grant me my permission, Prince. "'I ask no further reward for my labours "'up to this time than the gracious favour "'of your most illustrious excellency.' "'When he saw the firmness of my resolution, "'he turned with some irritation and exclaimed, "'Benvenuto!' if you want to finish the statue you shall lack for nothing then i thanked him and said i had no greater desire than to show those envious folk that i had it in me to execute the promised work when i left his excellency i received some slight assistance but this not being sufficient i had to put my hand into my own purse in order to push the work forward at something better than a snail's pace it was my custom to pass the evening in the duke's wardrobe where Domenico Poggini and his brother Gian Pagallo were at work upon that golden cup for the Duchess, and the girdle I have already described. His Excellency had also commissioned me to make a little model for a pendant to set the great diamond which Bernardoni and Antonio Landi made him buy. I tried to get out of doing it, but the Duke compelled me by all sorts of kindly pressure to work until four hours after nightfall. He kept indeed enticing me to push this job forward by daytime also, but I would not consent." although I felt sure I should incur his anger. Now one evening I happened to arrive rather later than usual, whereupon he said, "'I'll come, may you be.' I answered, "'My lord, that is not my name. My name is Welcome, but, as I suppose your excellency is joking, I will add no more.' He replied that, far from joking, he meant solemn earnest. I had better look to my conduct for it had come to his ears that I relied upon his favour to take in first one man and then another I begged his most illustrious excellency to name a single person whom I had ever taken in at this he flew into a rage and said go and give back to Bernardone what you have of his there I have mentioned one I said my lord I thank you and beg you to condescend so far as to listen to four words It is true that he lent me a pair of old scales, two anvils, and three little hammers, which articles I begged his workman, Giorgio de Cortona, fifteen days ago to fetch back. Giorgio came for them himself. if Your Excellency can prove, on referring to those who have spoken these calumnies, or to others, that I have ever, from the day of my birth till now, got any single thing by fraud from anybody, be it in Rome or be it in France, then let Your Excellency punish me as immoderately as you choose. When the Duke saw me in this mighty passion, he assumed the air of a prudent and benevolent lord, saying, Those words are not meant for well-doers, therefore, if it is as you say, I shall always receive you with the same kindness as heretofore. To this I answered, I should like Your Excellency to know that the rascalities of Bernadone compel me to ask as a favour how much that big diamond with the crop point cost you. I hope to prove on what account that scoundrel tries to bring me into disgrace.' Then His Excellency replied, "'I paid twenty-five thousand ducats for it. Why do you ask me?' "'Because, my lord, on such a day, at such an hour, in a corn of mercato nuovo antonio landi the son of vittorio begged me to induce your excellency to buy it and at my first question he asked sixteen thousand ducats for the diamond now your excellency knows what it has cost you Domenico Pogini and Gian Pagallo, his brother, who are present, will confirm my words, for I spoke to them at once about it, and since that time have never once alluded to the matter, because Your Excellency told me I did not understand these things, which made me think you wanted to keep up the credit of your stone. I should like you to know, my lord, that I do understand, and that, as regards my character, I consider myself no less honest than any man who ever lived upon this earth. I shall not try to rob you of eight or ten thousand ducats at one go, but shall rather seek to earn them by my industry. I entered the service of Your Excellency as sculptor, goldsmith, and stamper of coin. But to blab about my neighbor's private matters? Never! What I am now telling you I say in self-defense. I do not want my fee for information if i speak out in the presence of so many worthy fellows as are here it is because i do not wish your excellency to believe what bernadone tells you when he had heard this speech the duke rose up in anger and sent for Bernardone, who was forced to take flight as far as venice he and antonio landi with him the latter told me that he had not meant that diamond but was talking of another stone so then they went, and came again from Venice, whereupon I presented myself to the duke, and spoke as follows, My lord, what I told you is the truth, and what Bernardoni said about the tools he lent me is a lie. You had better put this to the proof, and I will go at once to the Bargello. The duke made answer, Benvenuto. Do your best to be an honest man, as you have done until now. You have no cause for apprehension. So the whole matter passed off in smoke, and I heard not one more word about it. I applied myself to finishing his jewel, and, when I took it to the Duchess, her grace said that she esteemed my setting quite as highly as the diamond which Bernardaccio had made them buy. She then desired me to fasten it upon her breast, and handed me a large pin, with which I fixed it, and took my leave in her good favour. Afterwards I was informed that they had the stone reset by a German or some other foreigner, whether truly or not I cannot vouch upon Bernardoni's suggestion that the diamond would show better in a less elaborate setting. Chapter 65 I believe have already na- narrated how Domenico and Giovanni Pagolo Poggini, goldsmiths and brothers, were at work in the Duke's wardrobe upon some little golden vases, after my design, chased with figures in bas-relief and other ornaments of great distinction. I oftentimes kept saying to His Excellency, my lord, if you will undertake to pay some work, people, I am ready to strike coins for your mint and medals with your portrait. I am willing to enter into competition with the ancients and feel able to surpass them, for since those early days in which I made the medals of Pope Clement, I have learned so much that I can now produce far better pieces of the kind. I think I can also outdo the coins I struck for Duke Alessandro, which are still held in high esteem. In like manner I could make for you large pieces of gold and silver plate as I did so often for that noble monarch, King Francis of France, thanks to the great conveniences he allowed me, without ever losing time for the execution of colossal statues or other works of the sculptor's craft. To this suggestion the duke replied, Go forward, I will see. But he never supplied me with conveniences or aid of any kind. One day His Most Illustrious Excellency handed me several pounds' weight of silver, and said, This is some of the silver from my mines take it, and make a fine face. Now I did not choose to neglect my Perseus, and at the same time I wished to serve the Duke, so I entrusted the medal, together with my designs and models in wax, to a rascal called Piero di Martino, a goldsmith by trade. He set the work up badly, and moreover ceased to labour at it, so that I lost more time than if I had taken it in hand myself. After several months were wasted, and Piero would neither work nor put men to work upon the piece, I made him give it back. I moved heaven and earth to get back the body of the vase, which he had begun badly, as I have already said, together with the remainder of the silver. The Duke, hearing something of these disputes, sent for the vase and the models, and never told me why or wherefore. Suffice it to say that he placed some of my designs in the hands of diverse persons at Venice and elsewhere, and was very ill-served by them. The duchess kept urging me to do goldsmith's work for her. I frequently replied that everybody, nay, all Italy knew well I was an excellent goldsmith, but Italy had not yet seen what I could do in sculpture. Among artists certain enraged sculptors laughed at me, and called me the new sculptor. Now I hope to show them that I am an old sculptor, if God shall grant me the boon of finishing my Perseus for that noble piazza of his most illustrious excellency." After this I shut myself up at home, working day and night, not even showing my face in the palace. I wished, however, to keep myself in favour with the Duchess, so I got some little cups made for her in silver, no larger than two-penny milk-pots, chased with exquisite masks in the rarest antique style. When I took them to Her Excellency she received me most graciously, and repaid the gold and silver I had spent upon them. Then I made my suit to her, and prayed her tell the duke that I was getting small assistance for so great a work. I begged her also to warn him not to lend so ready an ear to Bandinello's evil tongue, which hindered me from finishing my Perseus. In reply to these lamentable complaints, the Duchess shrugged her shoulders and exclaimed, Of a surety the duke ought only too well to know that this Bandinello of his is worth nothing. Chapter 66 I now stayed at home, and went rarely to the palace, laboring with great diligence to complete my statue. I had to pay the workmen out of my own pocket, for the duke, after giving Lattanzio Gorini orders to discharge their wages at the end of about eighteen months, grew tired, and withdrew the subsidy. I asked Lattanzio why he did not pay me as usual. The man replied, gesticulating with those spidery hands of his, in a shrill gnat's voice, Why do you not finish your work? One thinks that you will never get it done. In a rage I up and answered, May the plague catch you, and all who dare to think I shall not finish it. So I went home with despair at heart to my unlucky Perseus, not without weeping, when I remembered the prosperity I had abandoned in Paris under the patronage of that marvellous King Francis, where I had abundance of all kinds, and here had everything to want for. Many a time I had it in my soul to cast myself away for lost. One day, on one of these occasions, I mounted a nice nag I had, put a hundred crowns in my purse, and went to Fiesole to visit a natural son of mine there, who was at nurse with my gossip, the wife of one of my workpeople. When I reached the house I found the boy in good health, and kissed him, very sad at heart. On taking leave he would not let me go, but held me with his little hands, in a tempest of cries and tears. Considering that he was only two years older thereabouts, the child's grief was something wonderful. Now I had resolved in the heart of my despair, if I met Bandinello, who went every evening to a farm of his above San Domenico, that I would hurl him to destruction. So I disengaged myself from my baby, and left the boy there, sobbing his heart out. Taking the road toward Florence, just when I entered the Piazza of San Domenico, Bandinello was arriving from the other side. On the instant I decided upon bloodshed, but when I reached the man and raised my eyes, I saw him unarmed, riding a sorry mule, or rather, donkey, and he had with him a boy of ten years old. No sooner did he catch sight of me than he turned the colour of a corpse and trembled from head to foot, perceiving at once how base the business would be. I exclaimed, "Fear not, vile coward! I do not condescend to smite you." He looked at me submissively and said nothing. Thereupon, I recovered command of my faculties and thanked God that his goodness had withheld me from so great an act of violence. Then being delivered from that fiendish fury. My spirits rose, and I said to myself, If God but grant me to execute my work, I hope by its means to annihilate all my scoundrelly enemies, and thus I shall perform far greater and more glorious revenges than if I had vented my rage upon one single foe. Having this excellent resolve in heart, I reached my home. At the end of three days, news was brought me that my only son had been smothered by his nurse, my gossip, which gave me greater grief than I have ever had in my whole life. However, I knelt upon the ground, and not without tears, returned thanks to God, as I was wont, exclaiming, Lord, thou gavest me the child, and thou hast taken him. For all thy dealings I thank thee with my whole heart. This great sorrow went nigh to depriving me of reason, yet, according to my habit, I made a virtue of necessity, and adapted myself to circumstances as well as I was able. End of section 13